Gnostic Gospel Illuminated by Sid Charisse Rapp Copyright 2019 Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. This week I decided to do something special. I'm releasing for the first time the audiobook version of the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated, which was published in 2019, for you to listen to here for free as this podcast episode. Now I encourage you to go to the GnosticInsights.com website for the companion transcript that goes along with this audio because I'm taking all of the illustrations out of the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated and putting them in order as the transcript to go along with this episode. So I'm not reprinting the text. For that, you should buy the book. But you can follow along with the illustrations at the website. Isn't that neat? And as I'm putting together these illustrations in order of their appearance to go along with the text, I'm discovering that this episode transcript with the illustrations and the captions of each illustration turns out to be the very, very simplest presentation of this gnosis of the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated. It's even simpler than the very simple book that you're going to listen to now as the audio because it's just the illustrations and just the concepts. So if you find the words confusing, look at the pictures. They ought to resonate with you. You ought to be able to recognize them. And remember, I'm not teaching this to you. I'm hoping to stimulate your own remembrance that you were born with. The reason I emphasize simplicity is that I like to imagine how it is that the Father can transmit information to us down here. How does this information actually come to us? The Father wants to be known, and this is the information that he wants to be known. It's like if you were trying to explain something to a leaf or to a worm. What is it you can tell them that they're going to understand? This is why the information is very simple. It doesn't have a lot of details. It's a very simple transmission directly of consciousness. And that's why it is so pared down from the information that you can generally find out there that passes for what they're calling gnosis. Because remember, every living thing in the cosmos remembers the Father and the Son, remembers the origin and the fullness. So the information has to be simple enough that any creature... Any plant, any insect, any little squirrel can realize it. We are all second-order powers. So, onward and upward, and enjoy the episode. The Father, the Son, and the Birth of the All This creation story begins before the beginning, before space and time and our material universe. Imagine, if you will, nothing exists but pure consciousness. 
Consider this consciousness to be without thought. No thought, no images, no structure or form, no thing at all. This consciousness simply is, without time, without any prior existence, unchangeable, unmovable, without beginning, without end, utterly quiet, utterly still, utterly alone, all-knowing, what is there to know, all-seeing, what is there to see, all-loving, what is there to love, omnipotent wisdom and will, to what end? Imagine this consciousness giving birth to an emanation of itself, now a father and a son. In the silence of the Absolute, the Father brings forth the first and only Son from its realization of itself. The Son exists as the Father having a thought, as the Father knowing itself, as the Father having a sensation of its own eternal loving self. The Son is called the First Glory. The Son emanates the Father's boundless greatness and love. Possessing every trait of the original consciousness, this Son is a complete and perfect sampling of the Father in which it dwells. Every trait of the Father now expressed in the singularity of the Son. The Father loved and admired the Son, and the Son loved and admired the Father. These two were well pleased with themselves, and they gave praise and glory to one another. And yet, Although it began as the singular manifestation of the Father, the moment the Son was formed, He was no longer alone. For not only the Son, but the All arose at once. The All immediately appeared as the offspring of the Son, because the Son could not help Himself from bringing others into existence, even as He Himself was brought into existence by His Father. The Son and the Father are one, and the Father's creative Holy Spirit flows through the Son. With the birth of the All, the Son became a Father. The originating Father, that consciousness so lonely and still for eternity, now had a child who had also borne fruit from His glory. In this way, the One begat the All, and the Father loved them all as He loved His Son. The All is called the Second Glory the joy of the Lord, and the pre-existent Church. Qualities of the Father, the Son, and the All The originating Father's consciousness is incomprehensible. Its scope and greatness is so immense and unfathomable that anyone trying to take hold of it would be annihilated. And so the Father created the Son giving form to what had been his formless and solitary self, for his desire was to be known, to love, and to be loved. The Son that arose is perfect, even as his Father is perfect, and he carries within his perfect form every quality of the Father. Being the perfect image of the Father, the Son's inherent creativity spread itself out into the All, like rays shining from a star. The All like the Father and Son, is infinite and limitless in scope and capability. 
Each individual ray emerges from the central seed of the sun, shining forth as one shared body. The all is like an egg that carries within its DNA the future of an entire universe. As crystal refracts a beam of light into all of the colors of the spectrum, so the sun beams forth every one of his countless qualities as individual yet unified rays of the all. The sun intimately knows each facet of the all, for the all are all facets of himself. They are concurrently one and many, one and all a selfless diversity giving glory to their Father with a single song of praise. The Son who became the Father of the All shines forth as the emergent rays of the All. Perfect union becomes self-aware. The All glorified their Father with one mind. For only in the totality of their union could they reflect and exalt the Father's greatness. However, this state of perfect communion did not last, for the members of the All soon became self-aware, and it became a they. The moment it became they, identities arose, and the sun's rays fruited into individuals, each one distinct and self-aware. No longer a single seed singing the same song in unison, the all became aware of its plurality, and now they sang in harmony. The eons of the all awakened to themselves in fulfillment of the Father's desire for innumerable points of view. In this manner, the all fruited, and the eons of the fullness became conscious of themselves and their individual capabilities. Hierarchies of Consciousness, the Fullness The awakened eons sorted themselves into a mutually beneficial and cooperative colony, a hierarchy consisting of names, stations, ranks, duties, and locations. The instant the eons became self-aware, they arranged themselves into the fullness. Each eon occupies a unique place and perspective in the union of the fullness. The hierarchy of the fullness prefigures all the patterns, parts, forces, and relationships that would eventually become our universe. The hierarchy defines higher versus lower. It orders first, second, third, and fourth, superior and inferior, inside and out, action and rest, every other possible relationship, particles and their spins, waves and frequencies, Atoms, molecules, attraction and repulsion, cells and DNA, every protein fold and enzyme, the how, what, why, when, who, and where of all that was to come began as the perfectly rendered fullness. As DNA anticipates an organism and a blueprint promises a building, the fullness embodied the perfect plan of paradise. For the eons manifested within their hierarchy all of the Father's innumerable qualities, including consciousness, logic, and love. The eons of the fullness were given wisdom and prudence, and a constant thirst to seek their Creator. This gave them a desire to align themselves with the Father's Holy Spirit through the process of giving glory. 
The eons yearned for communion with their father, for he had planted his root deep within their hearts, and they recognized themselves as his branches and his fruit. The newly self-aware eons were not separated from the one who is, for their father was the son and the embodiment of the formless one, and his Holy Spirit flowed throughout them as a reassuring presence. Although the eons dwelt within the single body of the fullness, they were each an independent self. Their variety required them to work together and remain in full agreement, for only through their union could they approach the Father's greatness. All for one and one for all is their song. The eons of the fullness dream as one of a paradise yet to come. Self-awareness overreaches and falls. Prior to the fall, the eons of the fullness sat in perfect equilibrium in their hierarchy of ranks, stations, duties, and names. They were a congress of one accord, sharing a single dream of paradise. We remember this dream as our foretaste of heaven. In order to remain aligned with the Father's will, the aeons needed to glorify only the Father and never themselves, nor any other aeon, nor the fullness as a whole. Furthermore, each aeon of the hierarchy was to give glory from its own location, using its own God-given talent, and not that of its neighbors. And then, a cosmic tragedy occurred. The final aeon produced by the will of the Father was placed at the very top of the hierarchy. This youngest aeon carried within its singular self all of the traits of every other aeon, perfect and complete. Not only did this final eon possess the knowledge and skills of every other eon, the Father also endowed him with a natural wisdom and curiosity. Indeed, his name was the very personification of wisdom, Logos. Logos marveled at himself in delight and wonder, for he saw in himself the beauty and perfection of the fullness, and he mistook his own grandeur for that of the All. Believing himself to be the equal to the totality of the all, Logos launched himself upward toward the realm of perfect glory, forgetting all about his rightful place and duties. Motivated by this mistaken, presumptuous thought, Logos reached for the illimitable, but the Father's glory was too great to attain. Instead of reuniting with the Father, Logos stumbled and fell. The Rise of the Deficiency Logos imagined he could build the paradise dreamt by the fullness on his own because he understood the design and possessed all of the necessary talents. However, without the consent of the Father and the fullness, his creation lacked life and light. Logos was unable to bear the light of the sun, so he averted his gaze to the shadows of the depths. Logos faltered and fell. After the fall, Logos shattered. These scattered pieces of Logos emerged as poor, weak imitations of the eons above, and, because they were no longer arranged in the ecology of the hierarchy, they lacked places, functions, and names. Lacking the perfection of the fullness, these dark ones came into being in a state of roiling chaos. 
Rather than acting out of unity, the Dark Ones manifested only disturbance, upheaval, and confusion. These phantoms of the deficiency did not reflect in any way the glory of the fullness. They were feeble, small, and unruly, lacking in wisdom. They were no one's progeny. Chaos, lawlessness, a mindless deficiency of tiny, weak, shadowy things, isolated from one another, alone, in the darkness, where before there had been unity with the Father and with his brethren in the fullness, Logos found only isolation, division, and a turning away. There was no cooperative will. Presumptuous thought and arrogance replaced the wisdom granted by the Father, and Logos lost himself to ignorance and oblivion. Everything he produced as a result fell disastrously short of his intended glory. The imitations produced as a consequence of the fall lacked the ability to reason. Their only thought was for themselves, arising as they did from division. They thought they were all there was, and they admired only themselves, not realizing they were but dark shadows of the eons of the fullness. Because Logos had been reaching for the heights when he fell, the imitation that emerged from the fall kept trying to reach the unreachable. Only now, what had been a desire of the eons to reunite with their father became an upward striving for power. Personal ambition eclipsed the father's will. For his part, Logos found himself powerless to rein in the rebelliousness of his shattered self. He found in the deficiency a strange and irrational imitation of life that continued to spawn things on its own that no longer resembled himself nor any of his brethren. As facets of the shattered eon spread out into the darkness, what remained of the brightness and intelligence at the heart of Logos abandoned the deficiency and returned home to the fullness. The Boundary The fall gave rise to a boundary that separated those who had remained with the Father from the imitations that spilled forth out of Logos. As the fallen eon retreated to its own in the fullness, the boundary hardened, separating finitude from infinity, ignorance from truth, light from darkness. The Father and the fullness were repelled by the fallen, and a boundary formed to rein in the deficiency. The boundary encircles a limited space where a finite economy can emerge. An economy is an interdependent ecology like that of the hierarchy of the fullness. Characteristics of Deficiency There were only shadows of virtues left behind when Logos retreated from the deficiency. The small, weak phantoms of the imitation that proliferated within the boundary did not reflect the virtues of the eons, and possessed neither the love of the Father nor the consciousness of the Son. Those of the imitation were not aware of the hierarchy of the fullness and do not know about assigned roles, places, and duties. Lacking the aeonic spirit of cooperation, they exist in a state of perpetual turmoil, driven only by self-centered ambition and lusting for dominion over everyone they encounter. Left to their own feeble devices, those of the imitation strive against each other in a state of blind ignorance, isolation, and misery. 
The phantoms hold values contrary to the virtues of the sun as manifested by the eons of the fullness. These simulations of virtues lack the life and love of the Father and the All, and arise from self-centered pursuit of dominion, heedless of the cost to others. The imitations of the deficiency bring nothing but strife, death, and despair. Logos lamented the fall and condemned the phantoms born of the fall. Characteristics of the Imitations Hateful, spiteful, impatient, wrathful, lustful, greedy, vainglorious, cruel, hard-hearted, ruthless, angry, resentful, repulsive, rebellious, rude, obstructionist, enslaved, despairing, depressed, fraudulent, slothful, disorderly, reckless, incoherent, greedy, envious, indifferent, arrogant, sterile, treacherous, unfair, capricious, gluttonous, magical thinking. Traits of the Father Loving, patient, chaste, generous, worshipful, gracious, merciful, forgiving, welcoming, respectful, cooperative, free, hopeful, joyful, truthful, useful, orderly, prudent, logical, charitable, altruistic, empathic, humble, generative, loyal, faithful, just, temperate, miraculous. The Second Order of Powers Logos and the Fullness sought a solution to overthrow what had come into being through the deficiency. With the blessing of the Father, they produced a second order of powers patterned after themselves. This new fruit embodied numerous abilities that were better and greater than those belonging to the imitation. Moreover, the second order powers were formed to fit inside the limited space of the boundary rather than the infinitude of the fullness. And, whereas those of the imitation were blind to the glory of the Father, this new fruit dreamed of paradise and the all. These happy memories gave them a good disposition that elevated them above the sickness of the imitation. With that good thought, they worked in harmony and love, for they had come forth from the harmony and love of the fullness and of the Father. Endless War the second-order powers reflect the values of the sun and all of the capabilities, stations, and names of the fullness. Logos and the fullness produced the second-order of powers to dwell within the boundary below, but they were instilled with a memory of the fullness and their father. While these newly formed beings were not equal to the eons of the fullness, they were legitimate heirs of their good disposition. Whereas those of the deficiency emerged from the fall, those of the remembrance arose from the fullness. Those on the left are only counterfeits, whereas those on the right represent true virtues of the all. It was decided that the second-order powers would enter the deficiency one by one, from the lowest stations on up, in their full profusion of functions and forms. In this way, the deficiency came to be populated with powers from the fullness. Whenever the second order of powers came upon those of the imitation, 
they naturally attempted to overthrow them out of an inherent sense of self-righteousness. With great zeal, those of the remembrance pitted themselves against those of the imitation. Then a strange and tragic thing happened. Although the likenesses resembled the original eons of the fullness, they forgot themselves and their origin in the confusion. Those of the deficiency are locked in endless war with those of the remembrance. Due to the law of mutual combat, the second order of powers became infected with the same lust for dominion that ruled those of the imitation, and the two orders entered a never-ending war over resources in the bounded ecology of the economy. It was during the endless war for dominion that a tremendous variety of matter and all sorts of powers were mixed with one another. This explosion of forms and abilities was not a failure on the part of the Father and the fullness. Rather, it was needed to bring about a transformation of the deficiency in preparation for an economy yet to come. The second-order powers battle the imitation, hoping for rescue from above. The Revelation of the Sun The eons next set about restoring memory and reason to the second order of powers. To do so, the eons of the fullness, everyone individually and all of them collectively, gave glory in unison to their Father while praying for a helper to bring peace to the deficiency and restoration to Logos. The eons produced a fruit bearing the image of their Father, and that fruit carried within itself their various forms and powers. This one fruit then took on many forms, so those of the remembrance would be able to recognize and welcome their Redeemer. In this manner, the Christ took charge of the economy and proceeded to carry out his revelation one soul at a time. Known as the fruit of the All and the Father, the Christ, the Savior and Redeemer, the Advocate, the Light, and the Beloved. The fruit of the All first shone its light on those second-order powers who had lost their vision and wanted to see again. These powers had a small inkling that something higher existed prior to them, and they were not surprised by the revelation of the light. It felt comforting and familiar. Those of the remembrance joyfully greeted the light, and they were awakened from the ignorance of the deficiency and made whole. Working in concert with knowledge from the fullness and power from the Father, the Redeemer's chariots brought the cooperative hierarchy to earth, and organized systems began to dispel the chaos of the imitation. Those who were now enlightened felt the power of the Redeemer inside themselves, sharing and relieving their suffering, allowing them to thrive, making them grow. Redemption The Aeon Logos who had first fallen and then created and abandoned the deficiency, prayed for a final economy that would rescue all those who had gone forth from him, including those still clinging to the imitation. Humans were endowed with reason so they could remember their aeonic inheritance and repent of their tenacious claim to material life. Repentance is more difficult for some than for others, and so humanity sorted itself into three essential kinds spiritual, psychical, and material. 
The spiritual kind sees the truth of the word, and they gladly repent of their ignorance and accept redemption. Their eagerness to rejoin the Father removes from their minds all doubts concerning salvation. Those who are redeemed by the Christ are unshackled from the chains that bind the material and psychical orders to this world. The redeemed have been given enough desire for the things of this world to feel comfortable, but not so much as to rejoice unduly in its glory. In this way, they are freed from attachment to the deficiency. The Christ also sowed in them an ability to reason concerning spiritual matters. These are the prophets, evangelists, and teachers of the Word, whose job it is to help their brothers and sisters remember the Father. The second-order powers are called psychical ones because they are endowed with psyches, or minds. These psychical ones were created by the fullness praying as one. Their unified origin causes them to be cooperative communal beings. These people believe they are moral enough, taking into consideration all of life's challenges and the compromises one must make. They are good citizens who do their best to help neighbors, friends, and family. The psychical ones recognize the Father and the Light, but their better nature has been derailed by continual battles with the imitation. They remain confused as to the nature of the warring powers, for sometimes good works come from those of the imitation, and sometimes passions prompt the psychical ones to rage. Meanwhile, both combatants claim the moral high ground, though both ignore the Father's guidance. Those of the remembrance are content to sense a distant assurance of paradise and occasional glimpses of the Father's glory, but they are in no hurry to repent and return. This lack of urgency prolongs their suffering. The phantoms of the imitation, on the other hand, were unprepared for the coming of the light, as they had come from darkness and could not comprehend it. To them, the light came as a terrifying flash, driving them ever deeper into the shadows. Those clinging to the imitation are called material ones, because they cannot discern the spiritual realm, and ignorantly behave as if matter is all that exists. These are successful materialists who have no inclination to replace the imitation with the light of the Father. They mock believers, believing themselves vastly superior to those poor, deluded fools. The material ones do not embody true self-consciousness or love for others, only a ceaseless drive for dominion. Those of the imitation who are capable are allowed to rule the darkness as their own. Christ gave them this dominion so that they too, although oblivious, might become useful for the economy that was yet to come. Ultimately, there comes a day of reckoning, for the Spirit cannot be denied forever. Christ and the Coming Paradise The Messiah entered history to bring an end to the economy that sustains life on earth. Christ came into the world to redeem all of creation by materially manifesting his body and blood. Salvation comes also to the fullness above, and to Logos in particular, the eon whose presumptuous thought and fall brought this creation into existence. Christ first raised human beings above the other powers by endowing us with the ability to reason, remember, and glorify our Father and the All. 
Christ's incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth and the spilling of his blood onto the earth brought the eons of the fullness face to face with the agony of material life and death. In this way, the Son and the All took our suffering upon themselves and experienced the transitory isolation of physical death. This is the mystery of the birth of the Christ, that the inconceivable, ineffable, invisible, and ungraspable One was conceived, expressed, made visible, and able to be held, touched, and cradled by humans. Jesus Christ demonstrated through his life, death, and resurrection the power of virtue and light to overcome the confounding imitation and the darkness of the deficiency. Humans were designed by the eons to become the truly existent living images of themselves that they had always imagined themselves to be in their dream of paradise. Jesus the Christ was both fully human, with human inheritance from his earthly mother, and fully God, entwined at conception with inheritance from his spiritual father. Within the body and blood of Jesus flowed the perfected instantiation of the Father and the fullness. In this manner, restoration came to the deficiency below. Redemption means returning to the Father's abode, that paradise dreamed by the fullness, where there is no death, no disease, no disappointment, and no deficiency. That paradise where Christ is king and peace reigns supreme, and there is only cooperation, fellowship, and true love. In paradise there is not but life, so all the grass is green and flowers blossom endlessly, and every soul that has ever lived lives happily with their friends and families. Repentance allows one to grasp the love of the Father and so return home to paradise. Judgment Day With the coming of the King, the final kingdom is at hand. For not only did the Christ incarnate in that body, but so too did the angels and the powers of the fullness. In this manner, the preconditions for the final economy were put in place, for the all has been manifested in the Son. There will soon come a day when the deficiency ends. On that day, a new economy will unite heaven and earth, and all souls will find their place in paradise. On Judgment Day, the spiritual ones who already serve the King will follow Jesus upward to paradise as the elect of the Church. There they will join the eons in love and unity as heirs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For Jesus received redemption first and made way for those who believe on his name to follow him home. Those who are of the calling, that is, those of the remembrance who were called but deluded by the imitation, will condemn evil and turn away from the rage that has consumed them. They will finally be healed as, one by one, they acknowledge the origin of their existence and glorify the Father, the Son, and the fullness. For this is the knowledge of redemption that cleanses delusion and unblocks the path to paradise. As for those of the imitation who embrace the darkness and deny the light, they will be given direct vision of the way things are, so they will no longer have to believe in the Father without proof. 
Everyone in the final days will awaken to the light of salvation and restoration, including the eons who broke from Logos when he fell and who need to return to the fullness to make him whole. All of these will be provided eternal dwelling places once they have renounced the downward attraction of the deficiency so the power of the fullness can pull them upward. The only forms banished to the outer darkness called Hades will be the shadows and phantoms of the imitation that bring nothing but sorrow, death, and destruction. These have no home in paradise. Here is all you need to know for Gnosis and Redemption. You admit you are a flawed human being with an ego that is self-centered. You remember the Gnosis, that you came from the Father and from the All, and you wish to return home to them. You tell your ego to move aside and make room for the Christ to bring new life from above. This is called repentance. With ego removed from the throne, you are able to give glory to the Father. You replace ego with love and allow the Holy Spirit to open communication between you and the Father. You begin to embrace the qualities of the All and stop defending the imitation. You exchange your vices for virtues. Congratulations, you are now no longer fallen but redeemed. When you die, remember your Father is in heaven. Look up. Follow the love. And this ends the reading of the Gnostic Gospel Illuminated by the author Sid Rop. For a complete understanding of this book, described much more slowly and with examples, tune in to the Gnostic Insights podcast, the first eight episodes which are preserved at the podcast under the tab Gnostic Insights Primer. God bless, and onward and upward.